News Talk On Demand. Interruption-free audio where you want it, when you want it. Good morning, and welcome to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Jay Thomas. With me, like always, Rick Van Dyvendyke, who's uh, here in the studio, and Jill is joining us by phone today. Hi, Jill. Hi, good morning. Morning from the metropolis of Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. Prince Albert, yeah, I was out here last night helping out with the Swinging with the Stars fundraiser, and oh, right on. it went fabulous and such a great cause, too, for Hope's Home. Awesome, awesome, that's great. Uh, you know, we're going to start by talking with uh, talking about the weather a little bit this morning, kind of what's coming up. What's, what's it like for snow up around Prince Albert right now? I mean, there's some snow. I think it's very similar to what I'm seeing in Saskatoon. It's starting to melt a little bit, well, quite a bit, so um, a little bit more than Saskatoon, but uh, it's definitely definitely melting. I think this week we're going to see a big change when they're, they're talking about what is it? What are we talking about, Jay, for the end of the week? I think we're seeing maybe in the plus plus temperatures. I think uh, what did I see? A plus five or something? Like yeah, that? we're talking like by Thursday plus one, plus two, then zero at the end of the week. Yeah, and then Regina is probably even. Yeah, you know, that's, that's Saskatoon. Yeah, uh, I think in in Regina it's a little bit nicer than that. It always kind of is. No, in fact, it's a little bit cooler. cooler. Minus minus one, plus two, and zero. So oh, okay. you know, kind of around the same thing, okay. really. So yeah, so it's it's the weather's warm enough that you people want to get outside and get out into the even. Sometimes the snow is a little bit deep in some places. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a little warmer, and then you could start pushing snow around. So that's one thing we can think about: is that once this weather does start warming up, uh, uh, you, now is the time to start remembering about. Uh, about leveling out the snow evenly around the house as well. So, and what's important too is that if you notice, probably you'll notice already, on the south side of your home, homes, mm-hmm. the snow is melting away. Because you know when it was getting close to you know zero in a couple times here, then all of a sudden up against the house it could be plus two or three or four, right? Yes. It, you know with the reflection of the sun off the off the house and the windows, so the snow melts away. So if you have any plants along there, it's now is a good time of the time to be able to take a little bit of snow and push it back over top of it. Oh, okay. It's going to melt again, obviously, as soon as it warms up again, but at least it'll protect those plants because this week we had we had some warm days, but then we had some minus 18s with wind chills yeah. to minus 24 this oh, week. Oh, yeah, at least. And then right? the, there was some wind chills of minus 30 almost, actually. Yeah. So you've got all those plants out there that are uncovered. I mean, I have lots of places, even on our acreage, where, you know, a little bit of dirt showed up and all of a sudden, boom, the snow disappeared in that area. Yep. So I had some little junipers in there. I had to go and, you know, cover up those again. What was left of them, I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, Rick, because it's usually the freeze and the thaw in the early fall and the early spring, spring. that um, that's what usually harms your perennials. So it's really important that you're you're keeping an eye on those temperatures and covering up your plants, especially if we get really warm and on those south sides and you start to see some new growth happening. And this time of the year is when, you, when the temp- sun's getting higher in the air, and the sun's getting a little bit more intense. Is that's when you see the browning of your evergreens. So if you have a problem with that in the past, where your you know your junipers or your cedars are turning brown, now you can still take some burlap and wrap them around. And if they start seeing any starting to brown at all, because um, uh, they've just run out of moisture in their needles, being all winter and mm-hmm. being dry in that. And so um, now is the time to wrap them because they don't. It's not the cold that turns them brown. It's the hots. It's the it's the sun in especially in March and April when the ground is still frozen and the and the roots can't take moisture up yet. Well, I mean, my now, t- go ahead, Jill. Sorry. Do you have any tips, Rick, for wrapping those cedars when you haven't put a stake in the ground? Yeah, just wrap it right around the tree itself. Uh, that's it all you can really. Doesn't matter if it's tight. 
No, it doesn't matter. Do you want to use the burlap that, that they use for wrapping because it's it's not a tight woven burlap? It's it's made it has it's open so the air it can breathe so the heat gets out. That that's the key. Uh, and normally what I like doing is that in the fall when I put it on I like to have it six inches off the ground so the snow can get right down to the ground. But right now if you're going to wrap now the snow is going to be there, right? Because that's what you get. You get reflection off the su- the building or you get reflection off the snow going up and hitting the needles of the of the junipers mm-hmm. and cedars and that. That's where you get the burning. And so if you just wrap the tree, just take your burlap and wrap it right around. That'll be perfect for right time this time of the year. Yeah. I can definitely tell that the sun has now changed, though, because oh, yeah. the deck on the back of my house faces directly south, yep. and there's no snow anywhere on the deck. Yep. You know, like I even haven't had to shovel it for a long time. Yep. It just simply is gone. My driveway, however, on the other side of the house <laughs> faces north. Yep. That's the one I wish I didn't have to shovel because it's still yep. icy and, yeah, everything yep. like that. So, yeah, so just... Couple little things you can do when it's still warm enough that you can get out there and you know even put the boots on and take a walk around in the snow, and just to cover up some of those plants that are up against the house on the south or west side, whichever side the snow is melting off mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. worst. Okay, one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. We've got uh, some time here to jump into our first text that's come in a little bit early actually. This is from Jamie Watson, and uh, Jamie says, "Good morning, love the show and listen every week on the podcast." Thanks, Jamie. A few questions, uh, and Jill, I think this one's kind of for you. When I recently purchased my first house plants, they told me to bottom water. I fill a few inches of water in my sink, wait till the water reaches the top of the soil, and it works great. However, with my bigger plants, like the six inch size or or larger, the water never reaches the top. I've left them for hours in the sink. I do feel some moisture when I stick my finger into the soil, but it doesn't work the same as the smaller pots. Any recommendations on that? And then we'll get to her second question in a second here. Well, one of the things that's happening with your larger pots is um, you're you're still doing doing um, something very successful by bottom watering because what you're doing by watering from the bottom is you're forcing those roots down to the bottom of the pot so they're not staying shallow in the pot. So. If you if you were to dig down, all your roots are going to be down at the bottom, whereas somebody who waters just on the top, maybe with a cup or two of water, they're going to have a really shallow root system, and um, their plant's actually not going to be as healthy long-term. So it's really good to do that bottom watering, and that's why you've been taught that. Now, you can do a combination of both. So every once in a while, put a little bit of water on the top and then and then also bottom water. I find that bottom watering is more successful for thorough watering. Um, so you're, you're getting a more even water from top to bottom. But, yes, you will have to stick your finger down a little bit further when you're bottom watering, especially a large pot, or even get a moisture meter so that you can kind of probe down to the soil a little bit further. I always find if you can stick your finger down... As far, your index finger, as far as it can go into it, which is about an inch and a half or so, if you can feel moisture, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and remember, like, that's a, a large pot holds a lot of water. So if you're just putting a couple cups of water and it's like a 12-inch pot, that's actually not going to go that far for, for saturating that soil. So yeah. you might need a little bit more. Yeah, I think I've got a 12- or 14-inch pot that I've got uh, a fiddly fig in. And, I mean, you... When I water it, it takes two liters of water every time I water it, you know, and that that doesn't even get down to the bottom, really. If you're going to water the top, you're going to water the top so you see the water come out the base exactly. of the plant, yeah. and then you're going to stick your finger in. The next time you're going to water, you're not going to water until you don't feel any moisture. Right. But general rule of thumb with houseplants is because we don't have a lot of, like, 
intense sunlight or wind or something that's going to dry out our plants in our homes. It's not very, it's not a natural environment that way. Um, the water's not going to evaporate out. You're best to underwater your plants than overwater your plants every time. Right. So you can always add more water to a plant, but you can't really squeeze water out of a plant. So that's just a little tip that I would give them as well. J- Jamie's second question goes like this. She says, or he says, my new peace lily looks like some smaller leaves in the bottom are turning yellow. I've only watered it once in a few weeks. I don't think I'm overwatering it. I did have it near a window, but now moved it to a place where no sun can get on it. Any ideas what the problem is there? Yeah, it's lack of sunlight. It needs the nutrients from the sun. So that's what you're seeing there with the yellowing leaves. Just uh, give it a little bit more sunlight. Peace lilies are a low light plant, but no light is not low light. So you need to make sure that you have sunlight, an east-facing window. And then I would probably up your fertilizer routine. Um, Our plants have just started actively growing now that we have some more sunlight. So adding some more fertilizer into your your water when you're watering is important. Right. Uh, And what do you think about transplanting now, Jill? Now is the time to transplant your house plants. So our plants have been not actively growing through the wintertime. So you can transplant it. Um, but remember, you're only transplanting a house plant if it needs to. So that means that the roots, if you pull it out, the roots are starting to wind around the bottom of the pot or you're seeing roots come up to the top of the pot or you need to change out your soil because you have a bug problem or something like that. But So make sure you're transplanting only if it's necessary. Bumping a plant up too early into a big size pot is actually going to stunt the growth of a, pot, a plant as well. Okay. All right. Uh, I've noticed that even some of the stuff that I've got at home is finally starting to come around a little bit, like with the longer daylight hours. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's starting to be some, some growth here and that sort of thing. So uh, I've got a hibiscus that hasn't really done anything all winter. And now I see a bud, like there's yep. going to be a flower there. So that's pretty exciting to see. Um, yeah, your plants like your hibiscus will probably lose all their leaves in the winter time, and that's completely normal. So now put them in the sunlight, give them a little bit more water and fertilizer, and yeah, you'll see lots of new growth on those plants. We'll, we'll squeeze Jamie's last text in. Says, I have some black brown tips in my new spider plant just on the very tips. Any why? What's the best care for a spider plant? Um, the best thing is to let your water sit over, overnight or let it evaporate out. Make sure you're using fertilizer in it. And every once in a while, I'll leach my soil. So some of our fertilizers have salts in them. And so that means that you're, you're pouring the water out so that it has the water comes out the drainage of the pot. And that just leaches the, any fertilizers or salts that are in the leftover, just sitting in the residual in the bottom of the pot. And that's a good thing to do every once in a while, too. So just with straight water. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get back to the uh, text line in just a moment. But besides that, you can always join the conversation by calling one 332 8255 You can call that number or you can text that number. We'll get your text on as well. I'm Jay with Jill and Rick. This is Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Welcome back to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. You can join the conversation by calling 1-877-332-8255. You can text that number as well. And we've got uh, some good texts that have come in. You can tell people are getting a little bit of cabin fever because they're they're starting to call us and text us. And, you know, they want to know more. They're, they're, they're itching to get things green, right? Well, I, I know things are getting cabin fever and itchy because uh, tomorrow we lay out the garden beds. Oh. And, Wednesday, and Tuesday we start building the garden beds for Gardenscape. That's next weekend. That's next weekend. Wow. I can't believe it's here already. That's so, awesome. So we start doing that uh, this week and getting things ready. And by by Friday when the show opens up, then all the tulips and daffodils and, you know, crocuses and hyacinths and all the shrubs and trees that have been forced out and they'll be out and 
for everybody to see. It'd be awesome. What I love about Gardenscape is that, in particular, it's a great show, but you guys, the, the people who are in charge of it, you guys are part of that committee, yep. yeah, right? I mean, you guys move things around all the time. So when you come into the show, it's a different show than it was last year yep. and the year before and the year before yep. that, yep. right? And we changed it around quite a bit this year again. So, so you know, you, you may see some familiar faces, but it's going to be a whole new experience every time, and I love that. Yep. And, That's and there's other things for the kids to do, too. I mean, they have the Super Dogs again this year. They put on a great show for the kids. They're really, really popular. I mean, the kids love seeing the dogs. Yep. Doing all their agility, agility trials and going through all the different parts of the jumps and through the tunnels and everything else and through the the weavy stakes yeah, and yeah. it's quite amazing what those dogs can do. Yeah, so, absolutely. So that's great for the kids to come out. But there's lots of even the, even the things for the kids to do, like the good bugs, bad bugs. You know, usually university has little things where they have good bugs, bad bugs, so that they can look at different uh, insects in. In, uh, in on on boards or otherwise on some are live. Uh, a lot of times they have a live hive going, things like mm, that. Yeah. So there are lots of interactive little things that you can do that the kids can have a good education. I know that uh, basically, I think it's a Wednesday and Thursday, the little green thumbs come through. So it's uh, in Saskatoon, it's some of the school kids come through at a certain grade, I think it's grade four. Mm-hmm. They come through and they have a whole bunch of things with the Master Gardens, master Gardeners and the University of Saskatchewan. We have they... almost 1,300 kids coming this year. So it starts on Tuesday and Wednesday and we're going to be planting up little tomato plants. Oh, there you go. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Fantastic. Okay, well, let's go to the text line. We'll, we'll talk a bit more about uh, Gardenscape in a little bit here. We'll, we'll, we'll cover some more of that. Um, this is coming from Trevor and says, planted sunflowers with the grandkids. They're at the four-leaf stage, about five inches tall. When should we separate into bigger individual containers? Uh, my tomatoes are also in the two- and four-leaf stage. When should a fan be turned on to make them dance? Yeah, as soon as they, pop, as soon as they germinate. So soon as they germinate. So we actually want the fan yeah. soon, sooner yeah. than the, you that. You can go in the, in the, in the two-leaf stage. You can start having that fan moving. Okay. okay? So that, that's important. Uh, having that fan there as soon as possible so, is the better, the better thing to do. So if Trevor's listening right now, go get a fan at this yeah, moment. If you have a little dome on, as soon as you take that dome off, you know, as soon as you get you know, 80% germination, then... Dome comes off, fan put, goes on. Fan goes on. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. And as far as, as far as separating them, it's not as much about the leaves, but it's about the roots. So if you can, you can p- sort of pop them out of the container, and you can see that the roots maybe, you don't want them to get to the stage where they're winding around each other in the pot, but you can yeah. start seeing them towards the edge of the pot. That's when you can start separating them. Yeah, okay. and sometimes they have them in a big tray. And sometimes you just use a little, little, little tiny little spoon, and then you can just transplant them that way without you know, disturbing them too much. Okay. Yeah, but the biggest thing is, is don't put them in too big of a pot too fast. Yep. It's really important in order to keep them small and not stretched um, to to let them grow um, and let the roots hit the side of the pot, and then transplant plant them up to a bigger size again. Let the roots hit the side of the pot, and then continue to do that. Yep. All right, this is from George in Saskatoon. Our spiky cactus is in a five-inch pot, but it's spilling over with smaller babies. Should we now be putting it into a bigger pot, and what kind of soil do we use? Um, well, with your cactus, uh, they don't like to be in a very big pot at all, so keep them keep them as squished as possible in there. You can take some of those babies out and transplant them into another pot. Um, you'll want to use a succulent and cactus mix, or if you're mixing your own, you can add some sand and perlite um, to the soil as well, about one-third, one-third, one-third. And uh, with a potting mix, and then that will be sufficient. Okay. Uh, looks like we've got a call, so let's go that way right now. In Saskatoon, uh, Brian Brian is joining us on the line. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good morning. Um, I was wondering, uh, calcium supplements, uh, 
Uh, what stage uh, for tomatoes? I also plant green beans and uh, cucumbers. Would that be beneficial to that as well? Absolutely. All, all your vegetables, all your vegetables benefit from calcium and all the other micronutrients as well. Um, that's why when you use, uh, Jill and I were just talking about that the other day, about about using an organic type of fertilizer, even with the flowering plants, right, Jill? Uh, how, much, how much better, more vibrant they look than just using a regular fertilizer. Yeah, and I was wondering, uh, at what stage of the plant's life would you start giving that calcium? Like the stuff I bought, uh, it's uh, uh, kind of crystalline, you mix it into a liquid. Yep. And it said add each, uh, give each plant six or eight ounces. Now, when would I start doing that, and how many times a year should I do that? Okay, you're growing these indoors, I would assume, right? Is that what you're saying? No, I, I usually get them the bedding plants. Okay. Okay, you, you can you can actually put some put some fertilizer right in the rows right when you plant them out, right? Right, you you know when you dig your little holes and plant your bedding plants out into the garden, you can yeah. actually mix some soil, mix some fertilizer in the soil right when you do it, and then also on top of that, after that, you can go probably about every every week depends how much you water. You know, it depends. That's really the key. But you can go anywhere from every seven to fourteen days. You can add some more of that organic fertilizer to your soil bed as well. Do yeah, but I would, would suggest uh, starting. Starting. Do you think that would help eliminate bottom end rot somewhat as well, or uh, bottom end rot? I mean, yeah, the, the bottom end rot. That's key is for bottom end rot is consistent watering. That's the number one. Okay, calcium is a secondary. It still helps stop bottom block called blossom end rot. Uh, it'll stop that as well. It makes the plant more healthy, so it can resist it. But the key is is uh, for blossom end rot is to be consistent. Don't go wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry. When it's hard, when it's hot, because you're always pouring the water to it, and then it dries out, and you're pouring the water to it. So try to keep that consistent, and then you won't get the blossom end rot. Well, it was hard to do. Like a couple of years ago, we had those hundred degrees. How many days yep. in a row? And- you know, I work ten hour shifts, so yep. I want to give them a really good watering because you you leave them uh, all day with a water, say for a day, and uh, I did that a couple of times. They come home and they look like they're damn near dead. They're all droopy, you know. And yeah, you might want to get yourself a little sprinkler on a timer. You can get some timers that hook right onto your tap as well, right? Uh, if you don't have a whole system that oh, you can get a little timer that fits right on the end of your tap and it turns your sprinklers on in the middle of the day, let's say. And Those, and that's really inexpensive, or no, they're not that expensive now. They're coming way down, and a lot of them just work by by just a little battery or whatever else. And so they're they're very easy to use, and just put right on the just below your tap, and then your garden hose fits to that, and then on the end of your sprinkler, and then it can do it in the middle of the day when you're not there. Well, thank you, Ricky. You guys okay. are the best. Okay, thanks a lot, Brian. Take care. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five is the number you call. But we're just about out of time here. We got to go to our news update right now for everybody. So hang on tight. That's on the way, and more to come with lots of texts as well. I'm Jay with Jill and Rick Van Dyvendyke. This is Garden Talk on six fifty CKOM and nine eighty CJME. Welcome back to Garden Talk. I'm Jay with Jill and Rick Van Dyvendyke. All right, we've got a whole bunch of text to get through, which is great. I think, like I said before, people are getting the itch. So here we go. Uh, this one is from Dale in Laird, and he says, Good morning. I want to cut down my grapevine uh, yard this year and replace where the vines grow up. What time of year should I cut them down and how high up off the ground or the snow cover? Yeah, so basically you can anytime, anytime in March, April, you can cut them down. Not a problem. And basically, I, I like to leave 
like if you look at the the vineyards, they cut them down to about three feet off the ground. Okay. Right? If, yep. But they want more stump, right, to be able to. There's the big old stumps that have been there for, you know, a long, long time. And a big root system. Big yeah. root system, right? So, I mean, you could cut it. If you want it faster growing, then leave three feet there. And then from there, it'll just bud out and take off again. Or if you want, if it's up 10, 12 feet high, you only want to take it in half, mm-hmm. that's fine too. Whatever you want there. Uh, you could take, you literally could take it down a foot off the ground, but it just takes longer for it to fill in. Right. That's all. Right. Okay. Uh, Daryl in Saskatoon, Texas, one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. 332 I've got lilacs in my new to me yard. I don't think they've been pruned in years, if ever. Yep. When can I cut them back? How much? If I do this spring, I'm guessing I'll miss a year of blossoms. That's correct. So now March and April is the time to do this. And as the snows allows you to, to prune them. Yep. And then give it a good pruning because you do the major pruning, you want to do it when it's dormant. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you're doing light prunings, you want to do it after they finish blooming. Then that way they they put new growth on, and they bloom on that new growth next year. So I, I had experience with a lilac hedge I had with an old house in Prince Albert yep. years ago, and it was awful. It was 12 feet tall. Yeah. It had to come down. We actually cut it down to about six inches off the ground. Okay. Like right down to yep. nothing. Yeah. Because what was nice about that is then it, then I was able to control how it was shaped as it grew up. That's right. If I was to leave it down to, say, eight feet, you're left with still a pretty ugly-looking thing. But it probably because took, it's, But in that case, it probably took about three years to get the blooms back. It, yeah, I think it did. Yeah. It yeah. might have been the second year we had a, yes, a few. a few. A yeah, few. That's right. But the difference is, though, that then you can shape that plant into what oh, you want it to yeah, be. Exactly. And so I could, I could keep it into a nice hedge, don't and you, it would get spring flowers, and all that's great. Don't you wish we could rejuvenate like that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm tired of this arm. I think I want a new one. Um, you know, so, you know, that's the option, too, is that yep. if you go down really far, yep. then you can then you get rid of all that ugly old wood so, in the middle, so right? Because you're doing it, you're doing a major pruning, you want to do it when it's dormant, and yep. now it's like in the month of March, or the very first week of, of April, uh, you don't want to do it as, you don't want to do it at all when any buds are starting to come out of that major pruning. So do it Anytime now. Okay. Uh, this is from Rose in Saskatoon. I received a potted azalea last month, Jill, and it's beautiful and covered in blooms. I hope to keep it and move it outdoors. When's the best time to transplant? Can I do it now and just keep it inside, or do I wait until the blooms die before trimming and transplanting? I would probably enjoy it with the blooms on it now and just keep, don't, don't touch it. If you transplant it, you might get some bloom drop on it. After it's finished blooming, then I would transplant it up into a larger pot. When you pull it out, that pot is, it's, it's going to be quite, um, root bound. And that's how they get them to bloom is by, by forcing them in a quite a root bound pot. Um, so you might want to bump it up to a pot about one to two sizes bigger in diameter. Now, you can enjoy that outside in the summertime on like a south or west location outside. Um, Just make sure that you pot it in um, some good potting soil um, or if you're putting it right into the garden. I would actually just put that pot right into the ground, dig a hole, and then you can take it up and put it back inside in the fall because it's not hardy here. You're going to need to bring it in before it hits frost. Right. Okay. All right, we're going to keep going with our text line, one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. 332 This is from Brad, who's in Dundurn. Is it still okay to prune, prune apple trees? And can you explain the process again, please? Yeah, apple trees. Actually, this is the textbook time to prune apple trees is in March. Okay. And so get out there, and uh, basically what I do is I take any crossing branches. That's what I look at first. I'll take suckers out. I'll take the suckers on the base. And then I'll take any crossing branches that are rubbing each other. I'll take one of them out. 
um, and leave the other one. Uh, what I'll do then is I'll, I might take any one I call water sprouts. So that's a branch that grows out of the side of the trunk and turns and goes straight up through the middle. That one's usually going to cause a lot of problems for the other branches uh, as the plant grows. And then as the tree gets to the top, a lot of people want to what I call pollard or top the tree down because they want the apple trees lower down. They want the apples lower down so they don't have to reach so high. For mm-hmm, right. What I always say is that uh, for a healthier tree is that don't top the tree, but just thin the tree up there. So you know how it forks off into two or three branches? Trim two of them. If there's three of them, trim two of them, leave one. Or if there's two, just trim one and leave the other one. And then that way you're thinning it out, so you're letting more light into the into the tree itself. You get more apples down below, and then you're not causing this great big... Because every time you top, top the tree right off, you cause these water sprouts, which grow three or four feet tall, and wherever you cut one branch, now two branches, or sometimes three, mm. come from every cut. Right. Now you've created double, or sometimes triple, the problem you had the year when you pruned, right? And then all those big leaves that are on those new branches, and so they just suck all the energy out. So they do that in the orchards. They prune them back, but what happens, they have arborists that go through during the season and keep the tree thin so that it doesn't grow into a massive nest. Nest, okay? So they're doing it continually, so they're not letting it get back into a nest after you trimmed it. So if you want to do that, that's okay. But if you're going to get a prune it once every few years, thin it rather than top it. Right, okay. Get yourself one of those long poles with a basket on it, and you can pick all the apples without leaving the ground. Yes, it's, yeah. It's an apple picker. It's an apple picker. It yep. works really well. Yep. Yeah, they're, really they're not expensive, exactly. Yep. All right. Uh, okay, let's keep going on the text line, one 332 8255 This is from B in Hudson Bay. I'm wondering, to, I'm wanting to start rutabecchia in the house, and I'm getting mixed info. Do they need light to germinate? Do they need heat underneath to germinate? Should they be covered with a dome till they ger- germinate? Yeah, so with the rutabecchia, you want to start it now. Um, in the home, and it needs the bottom heat to get going, um, so that's really important, and also you need to make sure you keep the soil moist. Um, so it's best to do that with a dome in a, in a nice window. As soon as you start to see the germination, that's when the light is really important. So it's the bottom heat to get the germination to pop through, and then it's the light that they need in order to be able to start growing. So kind of a combination of both. The dome, once you get about... Eighty uh, percent germination. Take that dome off to prevent stretching. So it's it's a, the, the so basically I, the answer is yes for I, all three. I think she answered her own questions. Yes, all three. Yes, <laughs> yes to all three. And, so. just, and also adding a fan to keep that air movement around them as well. Right. Yeah, that's the last thing, right? Yep. So uh, basically uh, everything. Yes, do it all. one 332 8255 And we'll get to this text, and then we'll maybe get to our break here in a second. I have poplars aged 1 to 20 years old yep. in a shelter belt. We're thinking of uh, dealing with uh, septoria leaf spot and canker. Yes. Okay. Uh, should we be spraying with a fungicide and if so, what do you recommend? Also, can you take clippings from these trees for new trees, or are you just spreading the disease in, in the future growth? Yeah, as long as you're not taking the cuttings from any right, disease part of the tree, you're right. fine, right? Uh, but other than that, because canker, once you'll see once you get the, the big knots into the stems, I mean, now it's in the bloodstream of the tree and it's up, you know, to the end of that branch, right? Okay. But now is the time of the year to take your poplar and willow cuttings. And, you know, about pencil thickness, about six inches long, right? And then put them in a fridge, and then you're going to plant them out, you know, later on in May, right? Uh, so, um, but other than that, yeah, you can use copper sulfate. Uh, that's probably the best one you can use. You can use some, 
some lime sulfur as well, but I mean the copper lime sulfur we use for for um, for black knot and that you know, stop the from the choke cherries and the maydays from spreading. But uh, but the canker is probably best off to use um, uh, uh, yeah, copper spray. But honestly, number one is there's there's new varieties of poplars out there that don't get the canker. Right. Okay. And because uh, once canker gets a hold into your windbreak, it's it's tough to control. All you do is just it won't necessarily kill the trees, but it'll just you'll have to keep pruning it out and keep branches will keep falling out. I've had I put some poplar row in at the nursery and it was a, called a Berlin poplar. And uh, it was bad for canker, but it's been there since 1976, and now it, it just in the last five years has just died. Mm. So that's a long time. Right, right, right yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick, quick, quick break right now. Uh, after this, we'll get back to a couple of texts that are still left to talk about. We're going to also cover a bit more of what's happening at Gardenscape as well. So more details on that on the way. I'm Jay with Jill and Rick Van Dyvendyke. This is Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. All right, and last segment here at Garden Talk, I'm Jay with Jill and Rick. And Jill is on the phone. She's out in Prince Albert right now. We've also got a, a few things we want to talk about with Gardenscape, a couple texts, but we've got a t- call to get to. First off, going out to S. Van right now to talk to Joy. Hi there, Joy. Hi. Hi there. What's your question for us? Uh, my question is, I have a hibiscus plant, and I was wondering how to start another one off of that. Like, can I take a clipping and start it in water? Yeah, so you can do it a couple ways. You can take a clipping. You want to take a clipping about a centimeter under a node and cut it on an angle, a node's where the leaf comes out of the stem. Make sure you got about two nodes on that, and you can Stick it in some water, or you can stick it in some rooting hormone and stick it right into the soil, too, and let it root that way. There's a few different ways you can do it. So uh, a couple centimeters below a nod? About one centimeter below a node, yep. One below a node. Mm-hmm. Okay. So into, okay. into yeah, a glass and, of water and, to root, right? What's that? Into, you can put it right into a glass of water, or you can stick it into some moist soil. Just keep that soil moist until it roots. Okay. And it doesn't matter, like, um, how much of a clipping I take? Like, can I... Um, it's best to take it off of the new growth rather than the old wood. If you're taking it off of the old wood, um, where it's a bit more woody there, then you'll want to use a rooting hormone and uh, and put it into soil that way. Okay. It's just because, like, I thought being this one is getting so tall, like, it's probably a good four feet tall already. Mm-hmm. And and I thought I would take a clipping off of the top the top one there. Yeah, that's but, a great idea. And it's also good to be trimming them on a regular basis. That will keep them bushier so they're not as lanky, and you'll actually get more blooms, too. Okay, yeah, it does bloom a lot anyways, even at that, but... And don't be afraid if it's getting too big. Don't be afraid to give it a good trimming, okay, to keep it smaller. They love to be trimmed, hibiscus. And oh, is that right? I didn't oh, yeah. know that. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, any time of the year? Uh, basically, best to do it even this time of the year when it's more dormant, right, because it's not growing. Like pretty soon it's going to be actively growing and putting more blooms out. We were talking about that earlier in the show, like even Jay years starting to get blooms yeah, now, Yeah, I, right? I got one bloom, yep. So uh, so now if you're going to do it, now's a great time to do it. Just like you're pruning your trees outdoors, because hibiscus normally <laughs> down by in California, that they grow they grow them hedges outside, right? And so they oh, really? trim it, they're trimming those hedges all the time. And so uh, so now, don't be afraid to trim it to keep it down, so keep it the size you want. Okay, so I can, and I can just, like, uh, 
trim it, like cut it yep. how much ever I want? Pretty much. Just, you know, just keep it, you know, keep, you don't want to cut it right down to the main trunk or nothing like that, but you've got to leave some branches there. But just shape it and, and bring it down in size. Not a problem. Okay. Okay. Thank you. It'll, love, right. it'll love it. Don't be yeah, afraid. I love my hibiscus. Yep. It blooms and it's, the blooms are so beautiful. Yep. So Yeah. Just don't be afraid to prune it. It loves it. It loves it. Yeah, I just always hate to cut it because when it's got the the flower buds there, you know, yep. to, but I yep. mean, it seems like it's always blooming, so I'll just cut it anyway. There you go. It'll be good all luck good. Good with that. Thank you. Thanks, Joyce. Have a good day. Take care. Uh, all right. Bye. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Let's head over to our text line. Cover off a couple of those here. Uh, this is from Quinton in Vanscoy. Uh, sorry, let's go to this one first. Uh, Lucille in Saint Brew. Good morning. Can I still prune my birch trees before spring? No. No. You're done with birch trees until August. Well, fifteenth of July, you can start pruning it. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Basically, after the trees leafed out completely. Right. So it got to full leaf size, then yep. you can prune it. Okay. So in different areas of the province, that'll be a different time. But as I always say, if you say, you know, July 15th, July 1st, July 15th, August 1st, any time there's perfect. This is from Quinton in Vanscoy. When trimming an apple tree, does, does somebody still need to wipe clean the cutter after each cut with a like bleach on a rag? If you have fire blight. If you have fire if blight. If you know you have fire blight and you're cutting out infected trees, then you want to, after every cut, you, you want to uh, sterilize your pruners. Okay. If it's not infected, don't worry about it. Uh, this is... Then, but sorry, after every tree, that, in, for sure then, okay? Don't go from one tree to the next tree without disinfecting any time. Gotcha. Okay. Scott in Saskatoon, is it true you can't plant a new apple tree in a spot where you took out a crab apple tree? Uh, the, the, it, may, it may work in the, in the fields. We had a problem, was it called, we called it apple transplant disease so we grew a row row of, of apples mm-hmm. and the next year we harvested them let's say and then we uh then we went to plant again in that row the apples didn't do very well so we went and planted lindens or birch trees or an ash tree or something else for one crop and then went back to apples the next crop after that and we had better success so that's the only reason why but uh as long as you take out some of the soil and remove the soil and plant with good new new fresh soil you'll be fine Okay, there you go. Uh, all right, let's go to our text. We got That's pretty much it for text today. We want to finish talking about Gardenscape coming up next weekend. Yes. So this is, uh, if you haven't heard about this, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people who are li- listening to our show regularly have heard about this, but it's an incredible backyard living trade show, and it's it's one of the biggest ones around. Are there many others like this around, Rick, anymore? Not not straight garden. Right. Not There's home shows, garden shows. home and garden. There's lots of home and garden. Right. But this is straight garden right right so you're so, going to find a lot more uh people really dedicated to you know the flowers yep. the shrubs yep. the trees that's landscaping that sort of thing yep. and of course there's going to be people who are going to uh, talk about outdoor living as well some of that stuff right there's all that anything to do with outdoors not just plants it has to do with barbecues as the hot tubs anything to do with a backyard right okay, or front yard yeah or front yard <laughs> exactly um the hey, most it's also a great time that if people have questions they can take a picture of their plants bring it in um, there's going to be lots of experts like arborists there. Um, we'll be there from Dutch Growers. The University of Saskatchewan will have experts. All the societies will be there. Yep. So if you've got some burning questions, bring your phone, take pictures, take bring a sample in a little bag if you want to. And we have lots of experts on hand who can help at Gardenscape. Yeah. You can always talk to people and, and brag a little bit too. Like, exactly. I've got 26 blooms on my... Uh... Well, at the Horticulture Societies, they love doing that, right? Yeah. And so there's the Horticulture Society, there's the Orchid Society. Yeah, my, my Orchid. Yeah, that's right. The Perennial you know, Society. There's a whole bunch of them out there. Lily Society. 
So yeah, lots of fun to learn lots from different people there. So it's a family-friendly event. I, I highly recommend that you know if you're if you've got nothing happening next week, next weekend yep. is you know make a plan. Doesn't matter where you are from Saskatchewan. Go for a nice family road trip. Uh, the show is running Friday and Saturday and Sunday. I know there's a lot of horticulture societies from out all different parts of the province. They usually put together buses. Yeah, and then all drive down together and have fun. Okay, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, check out gardenscapeshow.ca for all the details. There are also public, uh, some webinars, University of Saskatchewan, if you can't make that, we'll cover off at, uh, next weekend yeah. as well. We gotta run. So thanks, Jill, for joining us from Prince Albert. Thank you. And otherwise, thank you everybody else for listening to us yes. today. Catch you same time, same place, live next weekend. I'm Jay with Jill and Rick Van Dyvendyke. You've been listening to Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.